Hey there, and welcome to NPHX Online. We are so glad to have you join us. As always, you can have church wherever you are at any time of the day. Whenever you want to catch up on past sermons, head over to nphx.org watch, or you can visit our YouTube channel. I hope you enjoy the message. The book of Esther is a great book for many reasons, but one of the things I love about it is that you don't see God's name mentioned anywhere. You see challenging situations, You see where it seems like evil is prevailing. You see where um, it looks like God is not going to come through. This reads much like an incredible movie filled with intense chapters. Why is it good for us in this room today? It's good for us in this room today because at some point in your life, you will enter a season, a moment, an appointment by God even, where it's a divine appointment but you can't recognize it because it seems like it's filled with darkness. You will recognize, if you look all throughout scripture, you will see God show up in dark places. You will see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not knowing what's gonna come of their lives. They're in a dark situation and they really say, we will not bow down to anybody else but God. We will not bow down to the pressures of culture. The only one we will worship is God. And if we perish, then we perish. A dark moment, God shows up. You see Daniel in the lion's den. I will not bow down to anybody but my God. He has pressure. He will not conform. And he is sitting there in a dark place. And he is thinking, if I die, then I die. If I perish, then I perish. But I will bow down to no one but God. God shows up in a mighty way. You see the Israelites with Moses coming to the Red Sea. They come to the Red Sea. They see their enemies pursuing them behind them. They're at this Red Sea. They recognize they can't part the Red Sea. What are we going to do? We're in a dark moment. Our lives are at stake. Where is God? God shows up and shows out. See, the great thing about these divine dark appointments, and you may wonder, is it from God? Is it me? Did I get myself here? No matter What journey or what path you took to get to this dark place, you have to recognize that dark places are divine appointments. Dark places is is where God does his greatest work. Dark places is where God almost seems to break us in order to make us. Dark places are divine appointments because God will place us in a situation where your finances can't get you out of it, your skill set and your degrees and your charisma, and your TikTok followers can't help you out of this one. God will place you in a situation where everything you've been holding on to is not coming to the rescue. Everyone you surrounded yourself with wondering, where are they now when I need people? God will place you in a desolate area so you can experience his power, his grace, and his mercy. When you experience his power and his grace and his mercy, you leave transformed, changed. See, everything else is superficial. Everything else is fake. Everything else is a dollar general version of a God's real version. And he wants you to experience the real him, the true him, the transformative him. So sometimes in life, God will allow you to get in dark places, moments where you recognize I need you and you alone. That's where true transformation begins to happen. 
So if you're in this room today and you're saying, I'm walking through a dark place, praise God, because if you will allow him, his divine power to do something, you will see great things happen in your life. The greatest tragedy today for Christians are people who call themselves Christians who never take a step of faith in Christ. It is an absolute danger to live as a Christian and never experience Christ. It's an absolute danger to live as a Christian and always play it safe. It's dangerous to play it safe if God is not there, by the way. See, here's the thing with Christians. We think if we put put ourselves in a position where there's comfort and there is safety, well, then we are good to go. But if you are, are outside the will of God and think you are comfortable, he may make you very uncomfortable. There is no safe place outside the will of God. And he's very clear about that all throughout his scripture. You can be middle in the dark of a dark place, but if God is there, it's the best, best place for you to be. So what we see in the book of Esther is just that. You see, let me recap chapter three. Here's what's going on. God's name never mentioned, but you see his fingerprints and his sovereignty all over the work and what he is doing. But you see God's sovereignty, but you also see human responsibility. So I want you to understand something. Just because God is sovereign, he is powerful, he is in control, it doesn't negate your responsibility. He has given you responsibility, and he has full sovereignty. And what I love about God is that he has given you uh, uh, human responsibility, and it doesn't negate his sovereignty, and he will accomplish his will and his purpose with or without us. He would rather do it with us, but it's with or without us. It's kind of like this. Went to the movie the other day, took my kids to the movies. So I told them, you got 10 minutes to get dressed, and, and I'm leaving. And you can come with me if you're dressed. I want you to come with me, so put your shoes on. But if you don't come with me, I'm going anyway. So God is saying to us, child of God, I want you to come with me, so put your shoes on. But I want you to know I'm going anyway. That's basically what he's telling Esther in this next chapter. Chapter three, here's what happens. Thank you. (laughs) Hey, And just so y'all know, when there's babies uh, in here, it never bothers me. Never bother. It's the sweetest sound. It does not bother me. So don't ever feel like you have to walk out. Nothing like that. Um, so here, here's, here's the incredible thing about chapter three. Uh, here's what takes place. Esther is now in the king's palace. Um, Haman, the king's right-hand man, has this authority and power without accountability, which I said before, it's dangerous for any man or woman to have power without accountability. And so this man, Haman, um, he, he ha- ends up making people pay homage to him. In other words, they have to bow down and worship him when he comes on the scene. Well, people begin to bow down and worship Haman except for Mordecai. The reason why is because Mordecai is a Jew. Mordecai and his descendants have had beef with Haman. It goes way back to, to uh, 1 Samuel. And so they don't, there's, there's some tension there. The most importantly is that hey, uh, Mordecai is a Jew, so he is saying, I will not bow down to anyone but God. So he is, here comes this, the entire culture, think about this for a minute. It's very relevant to us today. This entire culture around him is pressuring him to change his convictions. The entire culture around him are pressuring him to change his belief system, to change his convictions, to change how he stands and what he stands on and who he stands for. 
So in this moment, he is tempted. He is tempted. Either you bow down to Haman like everybody else is doing and play it safe, or you don't bow down, stand on your conviction for the one true God, and you don't know what's going to happen. So he has two options, play it safe and bow down. Don't bow down and leave it in God's hands. Leave it in man's hands to bow down. Don't bow down, leave it in God's hands. There's a lot of pressure with that. So here's what he does. He thinks, I'm not bowing down. Haman gets word of it. He gets very angry. And here's what he does. He says, if you don't want to bow down, because he gets word, people come to Haman and say, hey, there's a Jewish man out here. Here's the thing about the Jews. The Jews claim one God. The Jews don't bow to anybody. The Jews won't even bow to a system that contradicts their beliefs. The Jews are crazy. So Haman uh, gets a request to get rid of all the Jews because of this. Haman's mad because they're not bowing down. So persecution comes. Here's where we end up in chapter 4. Haman sends a decree to say because of Mordecai not bowing down, we're going to get rid of absolutely everybody. Here's a crazy thing is that Mordecai's doing the right thing and persecution is coming. Let me just share something with you. You probably know. You see it in Romans chapter 7 as well. Every time you take a stance for God, spiritual warfare is activated. Anytime you take a stance for God, spiritual warfare is activated. Anytime you take a stance to change your life for God, spiritual warfare is activated. Anytime you take a stance because it's biblical, spiritual warfare is activated. You will get lonelier, you will get more discouraged, you may even get depressed. The most isolating place to be is sometimes in the will of God. Because even Christians today don't stand up for Christ. So what you end up having are even Christians conforming to the culture. So when the Christians stand for Christ, even though their other Christian friends aren't doing it, it's a very lonely place to be. But I have to encourage you with something today in this room. If you have been left rejected, isolated, and left alone because you are firm on the word of God and who you are, Let me just tell you something. You are more covered, more protected, more anointed, more comforted, more provided for standing alone on the will of God than conforming to everybody else and having no protection, no comfort, no anointing, no provision. The safest place to be, even when you're standing by yourself, is in the will of God and on the word of God. There is no safer place to be. So, what happens? Mordecai says, y'all tripping. Y'all can conform, but wait till daddy get home. Y'all tripping. I ain't conforming because daddy is coming back. And when daddy come back, y'all going to be running, and I'm going to put my toes in the sand, kick them right up. How did I do, dad? Was I good? I was good, wasn't I? What you got in my house? How big's my house? How many crowns I got? How many diamonds I got? Can't wait to go to heaven. Some of you are like, what's he talking about? Uh, (laughs) Talking about obedience. The importance of obedience because Christ will come back. So Mordecai had this thing. I answer to God and God only, even when it's hard. And this wasn't easy. I'm not telling you, be obedient and life will be great. No, because sometimes we have been obedient and it's been so hard. Talk to some of your single friends. Be like, look, I've been, I want to get married. I want to have kids. I want to do these things, but God hasn't spoken, and I'm lonely, and it's hard, and I'm discouraged. But until God speaks. And so, and so here, here's, here's Mordecai saying, until God speaks, 
You have to remember, because the enemy will often tell you when you're in a dark place that there must not be divinity. But I will tell you, dark places can be divine appointments. So here's what happens. Mordecai, here's what's going to happen in chapter 4. Let me prep you. Have you ever gone on social media and saw two people just going after it? And you just keep reading the responses back and forth? You're like, this is good. Oh, she said, what? Ooh, yeah. they brought out the mama? You know, it's, and you start reading the entire thread, and an hour later, you're like, man, that was good. And you're just kind of attracted to the drama? Nobody in here is attracted to the drama? Well, I'm kind of attack, attracted to the drama, and this is what's about to happen in chapter four. Mordecai and Esther are about to put their business all over TikTok, and they're about to have... That's going back and forth. Listen to what happens. Mordecai hears that all the Jews are going to be annihilated because he would not surrender. So he still does not bow. He still does the right thing and waits for God to show up. But here's what happens. He begins to grieve. He begins to mourn. And he's just saying, God, I'm doing the right thing. Why is this so hard? And here's what he says, uh, verse 1 through 3. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes, put on a sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the midst of the city. And he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was a great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting. And many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. In this culture and in this context, if you were grieving, if you were mourning, if you were highly discouraged or depressed, you would put ashes on yourself. You would shave your head. This is not a sermon analogy. It's who I am, by the way. (laughs) And and you would put a sackcloth on you. It's kind of like a potato sack. You put it on you so when people saw you, you would think, man, they're going through something. They're going through something deep. And so here he is mourning on the behalf of the people, which is great to see this in the text because although he is obedient to Christ, it doesn't negate the pressure and pain he is feeling. He is obedient to Christ, but the reality is he is still feeling the pain for being obedient. He is feeling the pain for being obedient. But what I love about this is that in the midst of the pain, he doesn't stop praying. In the midst of the the pain, he doesn't stop praying. In the midst of the pain, he doesn't stop praying. The praying became a lifeline to God. See, what the enemy wants us to do in the midst of your dark moments and pain is he says, stop praying because he's not listening anyway. But instead, Mordecai says, I don't know what else to do but pray. I don't know what else to do but toss up these words. I don't know what else to do in the midst of my pain but pray. And if he shows up, praise God. And if he doesn't, I'm going to keep praying. This is what Mordecai does. He keeps praying. When are you? Here's, here's the thing. I know I hear from Christians that prayer is boring, it's hard, it's this. Look, let's be honest and let's be real. When you get something in your heart that you want, you go after it. But when it comes to chasing God's heart, we give up so easily. Look, you know when, when there's somebody you're interested in, you go buy a whole new wardrobe, the makeup, you, get a, you do everything you need to do to get their attention. But when the creator is saying, you can have me anytime you want it, you can have whatever you like. I mean, like, it's, 
That's what T.I. said, I'm just saying. But when the creator, when the creator of the universe is trying to get your attention, we chase after the wind. We chase and we never catch it. And the creator is saying, come to, keep praying. I got you. Watch what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm, I'm going to show off and I'm going to show out. And everybody knows that it's going to be me. And so we, we allow, the greatest thing that can happen to you is recognize that what you have is not because of you. There is a great danger today in our culture to think because we worked hard, because we did this, because we, this is why we got what we got. No, you got what you got because he did what he did. Like that, that, that's, that's the thing. And we're about to see that in Esther. She, she, she starts tripping. Mordecai is fasting, mourning. He's broken because people are about to die. So here's what she does in verses 4 through 9. I'm going to paraphrase. Here's what she does. She sends him some clothes and says, put your clothes back on. You're embarrassing yourself. She sent him Gucci with some Jordan shoes. <laughs> give, it, give it to Mordecai. He's going to be okay. We'll just cover him up with some nice stuff. He'll be just fine. You know what he does? Listen to this. They're going to go back and forth. Remember, I told you there's this dialogue going back and forth. Listen to what Esther says after she sends him these clothes in verse, in verse, verse 10. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, all the king's servants and the people of king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live, but as for me, I have not been called to come into the, the king these 30 days. So a little cultural context, in this context, uh, in order to go to the, into the king's presence, he had to summon you. He had to outstretch his golden scepter, which is an invitation to come talk to me, and you go to him. If you go to him without being summoned, you can be beheaded and lose your life. So Mordecai is saying, people are about to die. Have you forgotten who you are, Esther? Have you forgotten where you've come from? Have you forgotten those that have helped you to get there? What happened, Esther? How did you get so big-headed? What happened, Esther? Have you not forgotten God's sovereignty in your life? What happened, Esther? You've gotten to the place of comfort, and now you think you don't need anybody. What happened, Esther? She's in a situation to do something great. And she starts to come up with these excuses. Several years ago, um, I had somebody reach out to me. And they said, hey, I'm bringing some staff over to Phoenix. Do you have any contacts to get us a, a suite in a sporting event? And I said, hey, man, I'm going to be honest the way I'm wired. I don't like asking for favors. I never want to use my seat to ask for a favor. I just don't think, I, I, it just feels weird. They said, please, we heard you, and then the truth started, we heard you know so-and-so. I'm like, oh gosh. Please, I mean a lot to us, yada, 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 yada. And I said, okay. I know where you're just an acquaintance. Okay, I'll reach out and put my ego aside and try to do you a favor. So I reach out to someone to hey, have some acquaintances coming. Don't really know them very well, but they're Christians, so they gotta be good people. Um, <laughs> um, so 
I hooked it up for him. I said, hey, call him back. Hey, look, we got you. Sweet. Um, blessing for you and your ministry. Here's the contact. And they're like, great. Well, hey, what time do we meet you there so you can walk us up to the suite and hang? And I was like, oh, yeah, we coming, all right. And so we get a babysitter. My wife and I get dressed up, have a date night. We're so excited. And then we meet him at the, the bottom stairs, go up to the suite, get our little lanterns on, and we're just excited. Like, we, we get to go to the suite, too. This is awesome. I've heard about this. Um, we walk up to the suite, and I connect the good Christian person with my friend. Hey, this is so-and-so. This is the person who got us this. I'm sure to thank him. Nice thing to do. And Clancy and I are going in. Um, and then this is the door. He stops, brings in my friend who got him the suite and says, hey, thank you so much. Hope you guys have a good night. And I didn't get to go in the suite. And I said, if I wouldn't save and if I wasn't a Christian, got some things. So my wife and I stood there. The door shut. I was like, am I tripping or did you just tell us to go? And I was like, I don't know what to do because you can't sit anywhere else. All we have is the, the box tickets. So like, what do we do? I'm like, well, I can go knock and say, no, we're coming in and we're going to have fun together. Or I can just go home. So we walked out, got in the car, and left. And the whole time I'm driving, I was like, did I just get used? <laughs> did I just get used to get taken into the suite? Then when we got to the suite, says, hey, thank you. I'll take it from here. It's like, he just left me at the gate. I, I got used. There's a lot of Christians in our country today that will use God to get to the gate. And once you depend on the supernatural to get you there, you leave him at the gate and depend on the natural to keep you there. And what happened to Esther's life all up to this point, she, she leaned on the supernatural. How did I get in the king's palace? Both my parents are dead. I'm an orphan. I'm a nobody from a nowhere town. Now I'm in the palace and she forgot. The supernatural got her there and she depended on the natural to keep her there. That's why she began to say, well, what if I die? What happens if this happens to me? What happens? So she forgot about how she arrived. Don't forget don't be so impressed with your own resume that you forget the one who got you there. Don't be so impressed with your gift set that you forgot the one who gave it to you. Because my Lord giveth and he taketh away. Don't you forget. Don't you forget. So here she is. Mordecai, you tripping. I got my Prada, my Gucci. I got my girls hanging. We ain't going nowhere. And Mordecai's saying, Oh, Mr. Big Time, you've arrived, huh? You're, you're there, Mr. Big Time. So here's what Mordecai says. Let me tell you something, girl. Let me remind you of something. He gets a little more salty. I like salty Mordecai. Look at verse 12. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Here's what he said, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews, because you're still a Jew. 
Don't you remember? <laughs> you think you're going to escape? <laughs> you better check yourself. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. So he has given her a sober dose of reality. That apart from God, you have no protection. Apart from God, you cannot escape. Apart from God, there is no confidence. Apart from God, there is no boldness. Apart from God, there is no security. And he says this in verse 14. For if you keep silent at this time, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. For if you keep silent, at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another's place. So here's what he's saying. You can choose in this moment to recognize that God has brought you to this place for this moment. He has promoted you. You have gotten a hookup from heaven, but it's not just for you. It's so that God can work through you. If you choose not to allow God to use you because he has promoted you and he wants to use your life for kingdom impact. If you are so concerned about the comforts of this life, let me tell you what God will do. He will find somebody else to do what he is trying to accomplish through you. God, Esther, I know you think you are high and mighty. I know you're so impressed with yourself. I know you have so many great material things, but let me sober you up. God doesn't need you. He is willing to use you, but doesn't need you. He can find another you. And she's thinking, "Uh uh-oh, maybe he's right. Maybe I've gotten so high and mighty that I thought I was so special. There's a great danger in your success. There's a great danger in your success because you will begin to think that it really was you. There's a great danger in your success because you will think that the money God has given you is just for you. There's a great danger in your success because you will think that God has given you a title just for you. There's a great danger in your success because you will be tempted to think that your influence is just for you. What God has given you is not just for you. What God has given you is for him. I have recognized in my life that if God can recognize that he can give through you, he will give to you. Now, he is so great and kind that he will still give to you, although he can't give through you. But what he is telling Esther is, Esther, if you're not going to allow him to work through you, when he got you here, then he will pick somebody else. Do you remember what it was like to live back in the day, Esther? Do you remember what it was like to not have anything? Do you remember what it was like? Esther, do not get drunk after your own success. Esther, do not drink your own Kool-Aid. Esther, stop reading the press about yourself. 
Esther, stop thinking that you are more than you are. Esther, stop thinking that your looks and your talents got you here. Esther, stop being so concerned with the things of this world and leaving no room for God to work. Esther, it's time for you to take a step of faith and see God show up and show out. Many Christians will never experience the power and presence of God because they will never get out of the way to allow God to move. He is telling Esther, get out of the way and watch God move. Esther, at this point, I don't know if she's going to unfriend or unfollow him. Because that's a lot. To straight up tell her, look, if you don't do it, he'll pick someone else. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows? Who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows, Esther? Who knows that all the hardship in your life that you went through wasn't designed for such a time as this? Who knows, Esther, all the criticism, all the rejection, all the depression, all the anxiety, all the unknowns, all the concerns, all the losses, all the rejection? Who knows, Esther, if every broken thing you experienced wasn't so that God can begin to mold and use you for such a time as this? Esther, who knows in those moments that you were crying when you had no mother and father, when no one saw you But God, who knows, Esther, when you didn't even want to live anymore, but God saw you. Who knows, Esther, that maybe, just maybe, God used all of your brokenness and the times that you wanted to give up for just this moment. Who knows? Who who knows? Who knows, Esther? And so he, he sends her that. Hits send. She receives it. Look how she responds. Then Esther told him to reply to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa. And hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, nor night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, then I perish. God, I'm going to do something with my life that if you don't come through, then you don't come through. And if I perish, then I perish. Let me ask you something. Church, when is the last time you have taken a step of faith where the outcome was unknown? When is the last time you've said, you know what, I'm going to trust what the word says and it's not going to be popular but God if I perish then I perish if you don't show up God nothing happens God I'm going to create space and I'm going to say I'm taking this dive this leap of faith and I need you to come through God I want you to know something every person that experienced this kind of risky faith in scripture wasn't guaranteed the perfect life, but they were guaranteed a transformative life because when they took that step of faith, God showed up and showed out and it changed their relationship with God. If you were in this room and you fell to allow, to give God the space to show up and do something great, then you negate experiencing his fullness, his power, and his presence. You can play it safe, but you're really not safe. You can play it safe, but you're really not safe.
You know what verse 17 says? She sends back the message, Mordecai, I hear you. I'm going to do it. You are right. You know what he says? Verse 17, Esther, can you say that again? Did you say I was right? (laughs) I don't know how many of you um, are married in this room, um, but I've been married 12 years and um, the greatest sentence in all of humanity I feel the spirit. <laughs> and all of humanity is this. Honey, you were right. <laughs> then I say, what did you say? I couldn't hear you. What did you say? Mordecai in verse 17 said, what, honey, what did you say? Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. This, this life of faith is hard, it's challenging, and I know there's a lot of temptation from our culture to pursue comfort and achievements. But I'll tell you in this room today, I question how much of our comfort and achievements are expanding God's work. I question how many of our comforts or achievements are pleasing to God. I question how many of our comforts are, and achievements are part of his will for our life. I don't know what you're chasing today. But I know anything apart from God cannot please him or get you to him. I don't know what you're chasing today, but I do know that anything apart from God cannot please him or get you to him. I don't know what God has given you today. God may have given you a promotion. You ever thought maybe it wasn't just for you? Maybe God has given you great finances. You ever thought maybe that wasn't just for you? God maybe give you influence. Maybe it's not just for you. God's sovereignty and human responsibility. You will have to answer. This isn't a cute statement. This is true. You will be held accountable for what he gave you and how you used it. You will be held accountable. You think being a pastor was first on my list? No. This isn't what I wrote for myself. You know, you know what I wanted to do? You want to hear it? Y'all going to laugh when I tell you. Who said that? You're in my notes, man. I wanted to be a basketball player. But God thought it'd be funny to stunt my growth. Say, what, little man, where are you going to play? One-on-one with your son? Like, Like, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do now, God? But I surrendered my life and said, use it for your glory. This wasn't first on my list. I love it. Sundays, but it's not wasn't first on my list. You may have heard, and I'm closing with the story, and I'll be done. In uh, 2009, incredible story, Tim Tebow played for the Florida Gators. 
They were playing Oklahoma Sooners in the 2009 National Championship. Tim Tebow, if you don't know his story, it's quite miraculous. His story is his parents were missionaries. While his mother was pregnant with him, um, she got very ill. She got so ill that the doctor told her, hey, you're not going to have this child because he's going to be born with X, Y, Z. You don't want to have this child. So she decided, no, I'm not going to abort him. I'm going to place my faith in God and we'll let God take care of the rest. So here comes Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow comes out, begins to um, put all of his effort in football. He begins to excel. Here he is, the national platform, the biggest platform of his career up until this point in 2009. During this point, they, uh, he, had, he would wear this eye black, the eye black that he wore for the national championship, because here's what he was thinking. This is the biggest platform of my life, that God has allowed me to be on the stage for this moment. I mean, he could have been concerned with how do I get more followers? How do I advertise my name and my brand? How do I do this? I'm not saying that's horribly wrong, but his mind was not there. His mind was, how do I advertise my God with the opportunity that he has given me? So, so here's what he does. He wears the eye black. You can see the picture come up. Every time they turn to TM Tebow, which was a lot of times, he had John 3:16 on his eyes. So that day, over 90 million people that day alone searched John 3:16. He used that position of influence for God's glory. And what happens? 90 million people searched this. For God so loved the world. Do you know what was happening in this moment? It was the cure for humanity. He was giving the people through the word of God the cure for humanity and brokenness, which is Jesus. So 90 million people read this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. 90 million people read the truth that day. So here's what happens. They banned that the next year. They banned it. They try to silence that. They banned it. But here's what I love about our God. No person, no people, no system can silence our God or change or thwart his plans. He is powerful. He is mighty. He is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Nobody can change his plans or change his mind. He is God. And you know what's cool about our God? is he doesn't need to promote his own name to let people know he is there. What do you mean, pastor? Three years later, Tim Tebow's in the NFL. He's playing in his first playoff game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was playing for the Broncos. By the way, this, this turned me into a Bronco fan. You know God has to be moving if you're a Bronco fan. So here's what happened. He wins his first playoff game. He comes off, they're cheering, they're jumping on him. His team is like, oh, we won, we won. Someone pulled him aside and said, do you know what happened? It's like, yeah, we just won. And they're like, no, 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 I don't think you know what happened. I say, Tim, you have to listen to this. Three years later, when they try to silence, it, nothing will silence God. Three years later, the game is over. You want to know what Tim Tebow threw for? 316 yards. <laughs> That's three, one, six. Maybe it's a coincidence, Pastor. You're right, I could see. But he also averaged 31.6 yards per completion. 
Ah, pastor, you make that up? That's, that still can be a coincidence. You're probably right. The final rating for the game was 31.6 for him. Still sounds like a coincidence. He's on, he plays for the Denver Broncos. They're probably making all this up for media press and for, you're right, maybe. Pittsburgh Steelers' final time of possession, 31.06. What is that? God's fingerprints. You may not see my name, but you'll see my power. Nothing can silence the power of God. Nothing can silence the power of God. When you walk and move in faith, you will see his fingerprints. When you walk and move in faith, you will see his fingerprints. When you stand on truth, although you stand alone at times, you will see his fingerprints. So I ask you, what do you need to do that God is calling you to do so you can see his fingerprints in your life? What do you need to do that God is asking you to do so you can see his fingerprints in your life? Because when there's a divine appointment, his divinity submitted with your responsibility, there's divine power. What do you need to do?